Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women. In our album is about beer. <laughs> I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we are the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading our Patreon selected book of the month, Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid, who I believe was the middle son on uh, Home Improvement. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes. Jonathan Taylor Thomas, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> Nate's starting with a beer. This is called, quote, Valuable Exposure by Torch and Crown, because Daisy Jones, she first does that first uh, duet on that Honeycomb song with The <laughs> Six in order to get, quote, Valuable Exposure. And this is a sour ale, because clearly it, quote, valuable exposure is like ironic, you know. So this is a sour ale with blueberry, raspberry, and uh, Stephanie Meyer lemon. Oh, what? Mormon lemon. No, just Meyer lemon, but. Oh. <laughs> like, spilled. So they named that? Does she come from lemon money? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that famed Mormon lemon fortune. You know, I've heard stupider things. It could be real. Uh, this is very fruity. It's very blackberry raspberry and definitely tart, but not that bad or more like it could be a lot worse. So yeah, I, I like it. This is great. Contains lactose. That's uh, that's why. Mm, anyway. There's a part where Daisy Jones cuts her foot up and she almost lacks toes after that. <laughs> and by featuring this beer on this podcast, we are giving Torch and Crown some quote, valuable exposure. It's literally You'll thank money. us eventually. As soon as they find out we exist. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody liked one of our tweets today. Burlington. Um, Burlington, yeah. Burlington Coat Factory liked our tweet. Yeah, I tagged Burlington the wrong Beer one. <laughs> so this was our poll winner. Our poll was books that were about rock and roll, which is an interesting test of our patrons. If they would pick the lesser-known books by fairly well-known writers, or they just watch Amazon Prime. And the answer is clear. Uh, they liked. They wanted this one. And uh, it's a, it's, it came out in 2019. And then they made a show out of it that mm, is happening. Great year. Like, That's really right when now. things really took off for the Earth. It was when we peaked. Yeah. <laughs> it's right before we hit rock bottom. <laughs> uh, and it, Taylor Jenkins Reid, I knew, I know the name. I don't know anything about the writer because I've never read anything else of hers. But she is, oh God, she's, she's younger than Nate. <laughs> but she's still older That's than me. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> And uh, she, her other famous book is The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And it's always recommended to me on Goodreads. So, anyway, she's popular, clearly. Mm. And uh, I just find it weird. That she, like, her name is Jenkins Reed without a hyphen. And it says on Wikipedia, spouse Alex Jenkins Reed. Like, are they siblings? Like, that is Maybe odd. they both took each other's last names. That could be an absurd thing someone did. That's possible. So the book tells, it's, a, it's like an oral history kind of thing, like a, a bunch of interviews that have been edited together. It's a VH1 behind the music transcript. It's the novelization of behind the music. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. But without any of the music or archival footage that makes watching that entertaining. <laughs> so it's, it was kind of a slog for me at some points where it's like they're talking about these hit songs that don't really exist. They're all in the back and I didn't read any of them. No, I don't need to read them. I didn't. No. Nope. Nate, you, did you listen to them? Of course I did. Wait, did Actually, they have, like, did the audio book had a song, like a recorded song, and it was so bad, and it didn't have any singing. <laughs> they didn't actually, it was just like, they clearly copied 
part of landslide and then part of the guitar riff from landslide and then a little moved, some other for one part for a couple a measures couple and something else for another couple measures like oh yeah that's a song great mm. yeah i i listened to the audiobook for about two seconds and they saw that it would actually be faster for me to read it and uh but the audiobook had a full cast, so I wasn't. I was wondering if they would have done like uh, add sound effects and music. Kind of it's thing the kind it. of thing that does. Uh, I think okay. I think most audiobooks are just fine with one narrator. They can just do slightly different voices, and that's fine. At least I think so. But for this, because there are many different characters, and it's told as sort of like interviews between. It's like snippets of interviews. Then it it actually worked pretty well with different actors playing different characters. It would, it would be hard if it was one person just going like, Daisy, and then I did this thing. Larry, no, that's not how it was. <laughs> there are talented voice actors who do a million voices, like the guy who did the Harry Potters in the American versions, mm. who has that Guinness record for most voices in an audiobook. That's weirdly specific, but okay. I guess well, most he does of a different are. voice for literally every character. has a distinct voice though they're all british so you just like do like a different part of london accent i guess and that means something to english people yeah. like ah a scouser or whatever <laughs> fucking dumb that's a liverpooler anyway yeah. so uh daisy jones hey, Dan, the six. a lot of things pool in these people's livers in this book <laughs> so all right the beginning of the book tell is sort of like telling two stories simultaneously first it's young daisy and then it's young Billy, 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 Billy Graham. Man, I thought of Billy Graham every single <laughs> yeah, time. Every single time. There, well, there is a character. The brothers are Billy and Graham, right? Yeah, exactly. so it's like the Billy Graham brothers. What's happening? What's, what is this? Wasn't Billy the Graham? Later, there's a character named Teddy. You're like, Teddy Graham? What? <laughs> Those are fucking delicious. Wasn't Billy Graham the owner of the Fillmore? The Fillmore East and Fillmore West? I thought Billy Graham was the fucking preacher, TV preacher. I, th- I, I thought it was that uh, evangelical guy. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm thinking somebody else. Oh yeah, he just died recently, like a couple of years ago. Billy Graham, 2018. He was a he was almost a hundred. Yeah, that makes sense. Till God needed him back home. <laughs> I need you to fleece these people for me, Billy. <laughs> Cheat, talk them out of their money. So it starts off, and you get the backstory of Billy and Graham and um, Tella, their other brother, <laughs> and they have you know a shitty childhood. Their dad walks out, and you know then they. Find solace in rock and roll, playing music, and they just learn it on their own, and they're really good at it. That annoyed the shit out of me because they never actually talk about how they learned to play instruments or anything in the well, book. Well, Daisy Jones was even worse. It's true because though it did mention the guitar brand guitar they had as kids, and they had a silver tone, which is real, which yeah. was, and in the fifties and sixties was a like Sears brand guitar. It was like a cheap guitar that you get in a catalog that had a speaker built into the case it was like kind of like what's the word for that it's a one-man like, band wasn't it well, I, I'm, it wasn't a gimmicky it kind actually of thing. manufactured by gretch or something like that but literally I, with it was ordered by sears or kmart or whatever it is by the thousands and then just you know uh, uh and now the name has been purchased someone else uses that name today because actually my first guitar was a silver tone but not like those like the shitty silver tones they make now you know Maybe a Chinese slave labor or whatever. I think Sam owns some Caldwell special anyway, guitar. So first is actually a part about Daisy, who was this. So it's the 1960s and Daisy well, the is... Very, sorry, the very first thing is there's like, I need to tell the story. We need to understand how they became a band, how they rose, and why they broke up mysteriously in the middle of their tour. The answer like, is because, always fucking. 
It's it's because fucking a, a Japanese woman started sitting in on the rehearsals and she was really <laughs> close to one member of the band. <laughs> I mean, there was a part later on which then they bring in the Italian guy, Nicoloco Ono, who comes. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, it's the Guido of <laughs> the, the Yoko of Sicily. Is here. <laughs> so, okay. I didn't, know, I didn't know that was one of the Japanese islands. <laughs> it's, the, it's the fifth island. <laughs> yeah, right. Sicily. Uh, so, anyway, the first part is about Daisy. So it's, it's Honshu, Shikoku, Bafangul is the, <laughs> the other island. All right, enough, enough Japanese Italian jokes. <laughs> Daisy is like. Uh, Essentially, she's rich. She's from a rich family, but her parents just don't pay attention to her. Her mom was a model, I think. And Daisy, oh, like, it, she's like blonde, beautiful. She's and a redhead, like, Nate. 14, she's a little gingery. Yeah. At the age of like 14, she basically just stops going to school and like starts going to the rock clubs on the Sunset Strip in LA just to try to get in. And at first, they're like, no way. But then. I forget somehow she gets let in, probably just because she's attractive, and some roadie was like, hey, she's with me, or something dumb like that. Yeah, that's literally it. So she gets in, and she, and then she's doing, like, all these drugs, and, like, never sleeping, and then she's, like, 15, and, like, sleeping with guys in the bands. She starts with the drummer, so she works her way up, <laughs> at least. <laughs> and, but at the same time, she's just, like, because she doesn't, like, sleep because of all the drugs. She's, like, reads a lot, which is how... It's explained how she gets so good at poetry, which is equal to songwriting in this book, in this universe. Because when you're fucking speeding out of your mind that she only realizes she could sleep when she starts taking lewds or something. Second all. Second all, right. But she she only realizes sleep is a thing that you can force your body to do by the aid of other drugs. When you're doing that, you're like, yeah, let me start reading fucking Robert Frost poems (laughs) or whatever. And really thinking about form, fucking, it was absurd. But, but I'm sure there are similar. If you go back and like, there were many, many, many lines in this where I was like, I bet that's directly lifted from an episode of Behind the Music. I could imagine some smug rocker who's past their prime with a belly now saying that kind of shit. You know, when they want to sound deep and wise, and like, well, that's when I really learned how to read. Is when I found that box of historical (laughs) fiction novels, whatever the fuck. And I realized that it's not what's in you, man. It's what's without you. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I realized. <laughs> and then, oh, oh, okay, thanks. Thanks, uh, Mr. Paul. Actually, it started that's off like cool. this. Anyway, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so that's her. And then it talks about Billy and Graham about, you know, how they start to play guitar. And they mostly learn it by ear, which you can do, except... Still, for both Billy Graham and Daisy, they're just, like, amazingly good without ever having taken lessons. Well, I I mean, I think think we'd have to push back a little on that. Like, songwriting... Tell us us Guy with two music degrees. Yeah, I mean, it's like, songwriting, (laughs) you know, you lyrics are not something you have to necessarily go to school for. And for the most part, her early stuff isn't good, and she finally gets better. She was good, but she gets better when she they spend a shitload of time doing it with a guy who knows what he's doing. And those kids were in that band for a few years playing dumb local shows. And they're not playing like advanced jazz stuff. They're playing 70s rock. So they don't have to 
Like, ah, oh, this is my my Dorian song. They're not they're not doing any of that shit. So you can <laughs> learn, you know, like plenty of people back in the day did not learn trained classical shit or even get lessons. They learned by ear and they played basic shit and it was good enough because people didn't it, it, need that true. crazy the, shit. Probably the best example is Paul McCartney can't read or write music, but he could play fucking everything. Yeah, like, you, you get some you people get good enough. True, like you know, people learn by ear because. You you learned this is how I heard it from like older people. Well, there were no tabs on the internet. There were no tabs. And you heard something like on the radio, and you had to remember it and just le- like be able to like pick that out quick, because you might not get a chance to hear that shit again for a while. So you learn. It's like a. It's you know. It's like moving to another country and learning the language. Like you, you're forced to learn. And if that's all they were doing was playing shitty shows around Pittsburgh, they're gonna knock out a few shitty rock tongs. I have no doubt about that. It's true. That's fair. I guess I'll take it. You know, it's it's a suspension of disbelief a little bit, but it's not well, like I, it's not like they're all like savants. You know what? I actually I, thinking about it now. I actually prefer because I I found any passage when they actually talked about the the like function of music really bad. A lot of they, music terms that were almost used correctly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, can you sing it one octave deeper? I t- I yeah. wrote that one down. I remember that no. part. It's like that's that's a lot for like, someone to do. Try it. One, try it an octave <laughs> lower. It's kind of like uh, for most singers, Could they would go sing from like they would this. sing an octave lower and be like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah, like they have nothing." Most most people's range is an octave. Most the average voice range is around an octave, and there are some people with less than an octave range. And then you hear like Mariah Carey has a nineteen octave range. That's bullshit. Nobody really does. It's like two oct- two and a half octaves is an immense vocal range to have any control over it. After that, you're just squeaking or growling. Hmm. But she, she hasn't. She's just a natural. She's just. The, she's just got it, and they go for it. But there were there were other passages. The other one that was like, he changed the key on me. I was like a thing later. I was like, that would be changing the entire fucking song. Like that's not. No, you can change a key pretty easily. Also, not then they didn't have like auto tune. Like let's just uh, speed this up. I mean, you could you do could that. move a key, speed up the tape, no problem. You like do it a step up. Like okay, fine, done. It's no, I understand what it means. <laughs> they but changed like, it after recording the tracks. Yeah, they that's changed the re- key. That's because he re-recorded everything himself. And but why would they give a fuck? It's like it's in D flat now. I hate D flat. Like why because would it was, they care? at that point, it's an ego thing. That's true. All right, we should get to that. <laughs> um, so then they form their band, and this is where it starts to feel just a little bit like Forrest Gump because there's a guy that has to go off and die in Nam. <laughs> like, when I was reading, I was like, "Oh God, is this going to be one of those books where like every event somehow matters? Like there's going to be like, oh, I remember." And then we were writing that song, and Watergate happened, and that led to this. We were staying at the Watergate Hotel <laughs> yeah, that <right>. night, <laughs> getting ready for our show, partying late. Yeah, and I said to my friend OJ Simpson, "Hey, man." <laughs> Where's your wife? The Ford Bronco really <laughs> is a great ride. It could outrun most vehicles, probably cops even, at a reasonable pace. <laughs> so uh, Billy is. I tell you, Jonestown. It just sounds like a fucking paradise on earth. Who wouldn't want to go down there? <laughs> so uh, Billy is like. Yeah, clearly the head, like the the leader of the band, because he is the most talented and writes all the songs and is the lead singer. So, you know... And that's accepted to varying degrees by the other members, including my favorite character of the whole book. The bass player? No. Warren, the drummer, who, no matter what, is ready to drum. (laughs) 
<laughs> this is Ready to Drum from the Sap House Meadery. Draft Ooh. mead with red currants, strawberries, and blueberries. Mm. Opening. I'm opening my beer now just because I'm getting a beer FOMO, but I'll, I'll introduce it later. Tastes like juice. It's very cold. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> it's unsettlingly <laughs> cold, actually. Did you have it in the freezer? No. I don't know. Maybe I just forgot. I don't know. Uh, it's good. It tastes, like, it tastes like juice. I forgot what cold yeah, tastes it's, like. Yeah, it's been a minute, man. I don't know. It's been a minute. Uh, it's pretty good. It tastes, it tastes like fruit juice. It's not, you know, meat is something I feel like, I feel like meat should be thicker, but I'm also making that up and I know it never is. No, I know exactly what you're talking Cause it's honey. You're like, how could yeah. honey is no, like it's, it's, fucking it's, goo? This is basically fruit juice, which is fine. How strong is this? 46%. Oh my God. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't fucking see the percent of this thing at all. My old shitty eyes. I don't know. Whatever. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> There's um, an acceptable amount of alcohol in this. Yeah. But it's, you know, they have the, all the members join up and, you know, one guy dies and then another guy joins. Uh, and then they start doing pretty good at the music. And Warren is, no matter what, just like, whatever, man, just let me hit, let me hit things with sticks. Uh, I don't care if anyone's like a dick. Like drummers do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just, I don't care if people are being a dick or if my song gets changed. I just hit things with sticks. Leave me alone. Let me party. Uh, that's literally all I'm here for. That's every line in his book. And he's a, he's a fucking inspiration, honestly. That guy can go with the flow. Oh, he also, he knows what's up. He knows he's the drummer. He's just like, dude, just do your thing. Shut the fuck, sit down and shut the fuck up. Well, he's, he's like, they're successful. And he's like, hey, man, this is hard to beat. <laughs> no? I'm not going to be able to drum up another gig like this. I know. Nate, you want to jump in there? My friend is Tom and Tom. <laughs> this is very important symbolically. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Ah, nice. Stick to it. Trying to think of other rim job <laughs> anyway. Uh, so then they're all doing good stuff. So the band like manages to get signed to a record contract and then they go and record an album and it's pretty good. And so, like we mentioned, the story is told as an oral history, which means it's like different little like one sometimes it's like one line from a person and then another line from other people or like a whole page or a couple of paragraphs and stuff like that and it kind of goes back and forth and there's clearly like a main story which is billy and daisy uh but it would be funny how it would be you know someone would say oh and then we played three shows in phoenix the other person would be like we never fucking went to phoenix (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, it, and there were some uh, funny little light moments of humor when the other person completely disagrees with that. But they never disagree about anything of importance. They just disagree about minor details. Well, there was one later when Daisy says, "Oh, and he and we were at the restaurant. He told me that this song was actually about me." And then immediately next line, Billy, I would never oh, have yeah, said yeah. that. The song is not about her. It's about my wife or something like that. Well, I think, but that it's one's kind of, more ambiguous because it's a really in the, yeah right. Well, they they both have reason to not be honest, and that's in the introduction, uh, like the fake introduction of the book written by the fake the person author. editing this jailer Rankin's Teed, who's <laughs> <laughs> the fake one, uh, said you know there's contradictions and they don't all agree. It's like oh, yeah, but you're asking, but you know there's be more of it. But really, they just like it's just like for comedic relief. Like I was well, wearing I mean, a blue shirt. Like I never remember a blue it's shirt. Okay, kind it doesn't of matter. Comedic relief, but it's. I think the book is mainly about differences in perspective and how we remember things. 
sure, if you want to, if you want to elevate this to like this book is talking about. Yeah, that. I, mean, I mean, it's like it's the music is like the story, but it's like you know people remember things differently, and you know you people oh. people could both be right and people can both be wrong about how they remember stuff. Yeah, it's, I remember you telling me that once. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, of course. Yeah, that's. I don't think that's a thing. Hopefully, any of us had or any any adult has to like learn. Like, I see now. Memory is subjective. And it, it we all saw fucks with you. No, actually, I didn't see cats, and I never will. Oh, that's great. I refuse Nate. to believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Nate hated it so much, he became a permanent fan of dogs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I don't know what I'm just going for. So um, they they start getting popular, and then they go out on the their tour. Is that like the next they go on the first course? tour, yes. and Billy is oh, well, first, fucking railing coke. But first, everything. he... He gets married to his vaguely Mexican girlfriend. She is vaguely Mexican. Camila Martinez. Yeah. Um, or Carmela or something like, or something like that. Camila. And he's like, I found my other half. And uh, this beer's from other half. <laughs> and I bought it because if I bought it, I got a raffle ticket to, get, to win more beer. And I'm like, well, fucking yes, I'll do that. <laughs> and this is called More Citra Than All Citra. It is a high-density hop charge, triple IPA. From fucking other half, of course. Oh my gosh, ten and a half percent. It's delicious. Oh my god, it goes down way too easily. Oh man, just I like groupies. <laughs> so speaking uh, of that, that's what happens to to uh, Billy. Well, he just like goes for it. He's like doing every drug and doing every one. Yeah, and then his wife surprises a mid blowjob, <laughs> and she's like. Get it out of your system because I'm pregnant. I think it's because she was pregnant that he started freaking out because he's like, yeah. oh, I'm going to be a shitty dad. My dad was a shitty dad. Like, what a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, let me start by being a shitty husband. I got to warm up to shitty dad. <laughs> start strong, you know? Yeah. Well, you gotta, you gotta, Practice makes uh, perfect. Yeah, exactly. Consistency is really what, what matters. If I could disappoint this one person, I could definitely disappoint two <laughs> so then he's, he, he lives the rock and roll dream for seven weeks. Seven months. Is it a seven month? What a baby. She gives one him album an, do a seven month tour. She I mean, gives him until the baby is born. She was starting to show though when she That's, saw him. So she was yeah. like five months in or so. She's yeah. He has a he has a hell of a time for a few months there. So she tells him. So Camilla tells Billy, "You have to get clean. You have to stop doing this." Doesn't like leave him, but is like you have to get clean. And so eventually. Right after this blowjob, honey. Eventually, he does like right when his daughter, yeah, oh, first daughter is about to be born. They like, he like goes to the, they, he's like, oh, they get the phone call. She's in labor. So he flies out. They were still mid tour and they, she flies out. They, they drive him to the hospital and he like can't bring himself to go in and see, meet her and, and meet the baby because he's like, I feel so bad because I'm going to be a shitty dad just like my dad. And instead, he checks himself into rehab. Then he's in rehab for six weeks. And then finally, when he's finally, he gets out of rehab and meets his daughter and tries very, very hard and is basically successful to stay off drugs and gets, other women. He only gets a little preachy later in the book. You know, he's like the guy, the guy in recovery who's like new to recovery, who's like wants to tell everybody about it. He does a little bit of that to, to Daisy Jones because she is propelled by pharmaceuticals she is 
really fucked up. Would you say that um, <laughs> her lifestyle, her lifestyle, Jimmy just has a bottle of Vicodin he's eating. <laughs> yeah, this one is called "Let's Kill the Pain." It's a monkey <laughs> sitting on a pill. I almost got wow. that. It's uh, interesting. Yeah, you, you should have. It's a cocktail style sour ale with natural flavors. And I don't know what the cocktail is. Hopefully it's not a mojito. That'd be disgusting. No, it's a painkiller. Oh, it is a painkiller, yeah. It's good. It's damn good. So I had some of those that I drank last week before we did this book, so I didn't think of it. Um, And I finished them. My cans, at the bottom third, is like all pulp. Like fruit Oh my God, really? It feels heavy. Yeah. I think you, so you should keep drinking and then when you get to the bottom and then suddenly it's like, this is literally orange mush. Now I have to drink it for science. You should probably pour it in a glass. Nope. I'm going to be surprised. (laughs) Not recommended. Uh, But you know what is recommended? Becoming a supporter of the podcast over at Patreon. If you want to support the podcast... Most uh, doctors recommend it. Yeah, four out of five doctors recommend it. And the fifth doctor is so entertained by our content, he couldn't be reached for comment. If you go there, you can support the podcast, get exclusive content, early access to stuff. We'll send you shit. We'll be your friend in real life. If you come near us, we you might need a restraining order. We're that, we're that committed. I've seen Nate take down people from six blocks away to run and hug them. It's impressive. It's really inspiring, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's and he's all like you know he's he's uh he's bony like they get in there, it's all elbows and shit. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> so we uh you could do that at Patreon, but <laughs> you vote in the book poll. That's like you know your civic duty and shit, which almost half of our patrons do. But you could also get shouted out on that episode, and today is a special day because we're gonna shout those people out. And uh, by we, I mean Nate. Okay, I would like to thank the Black Rabbit of Inlay. Aggie 97, Avery, Humid Oyster, JC, Do Good Letters, Kevin O. Is this, is this I a name? I, no, I think, I think, I think it's Kevin? his real name. I think he's it's, a, he's yeah. just, Irish it's just an Irish name. It's just hard to Kevin Irish name. Linda, DJ <laughs> Law, Nathaniel, Thick Richard III, Frederick, Sean, Nora, Beatrice, Maurice, Nin, Courtney, IP Freely, William, oh, Sophia, David, Derek. Carol, Sarah, Joseph, Jeff, Yolanda, Jennifer. I guess I would like to thank some people feel insecure about having a small penis, but I like that I can fit it inside a Pomeranian. Silver lining. Uh, And. (laughs) So they're not silver inside. Um. And I'd also like to thank Bob Barker was my hero growing up. Thanks to him. I never have to wear condoms. Oh, my God, you guys. Oh. So he, I had to look that up. Was he into spaying and neutering your pets as PSAs? He said, I said that at every episode. episode. Yeah. Oh, I was, was the price is right. Be sure to spay and neuter your pets. Like, Bob, that's really specific and weird every time, man. Don't make the same mistake I did, kid. <laughs> Keep going, Nate. Right. There's more fine uh, people. Okay. On both sides. I'd like to thank... Anita uh, Anita Tolik, Julian, Nate is a canine fucker. <laughs> I feel like we've seen five different spellings of that from people. <laughs> okay. And then, it's a common name. Now this is the top one. That top one. And I would also like to thank this week's Patreon poll is as follows. Which is the most unpleasant thing to watch? 
<laughs> Jimmy, trying to convince people to read his self-published, quote, novel about a bass player that falls in gay love with a heavyset married man that he hosts a podcast <laughs> with. <laughs> Nate, explaining the legitimacy to the, to the white man's burden. Or <laughs> Mike... Or Mike eating a hoagie. <laughs> well, we've seen one of those a lot. <laughs> it's Nate explaining the white man's burden, of course. Yeah, but... all the time. <laughs> it doesn't say what kind of hoagie, but if it has a lot, if it's like a meatball sub, you don't want to see that. It's that actually mostly good. olives. Oh, God. That's a bad one. <laughs> it's almost entirely <laughs> And... Uh, You're still uh, not okay, And I'd like to thank Grace, Catherine, Colton. Of the, and I'd also like to thank... There once was a priest out of Guam whose voice could lift up any psalm. His sermons were free, but he never could be as popular with the boys as Nate's mom. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Raising the bar. (laughs) You know, I didn't know where that was going to break until the end. I really liked the journey it took us on. Uh, and <laughs> we really need to thank Nate's been reading a lot of Dr. Seuss lately. I even heard him last night praising one. He keeps screaming, go, dog, go, till the morning. Uh, Zaphod, Beeblebrox, Joe, <laughs> it Crab. It with a dog party. <laughs> Zaphod, Beeblebrox, Joe, Crab, <laughs> Daniel, Hayden, Emotional Support, Brito, and CL. Thanks, everybody. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I think the funniest part of the podcast might be the names at this point. <laughs> Why do I do this? <laughs> I really money. don't know. It's for, it's for money. You're a, you're a whore, Nate. You do it for money. <laughs> oh, classic. We'll Thanks, we'll everybody. Retire any day now. <laughs> hey, yeah, that's right. My ones of dollars. If you uh, if you want to support the podcast and join that esteemed list, you can. We'll say pretty much everything uh, you want you want us to say. And if that's not your speed, that's okay, too. You could just leave us a review wherever you're listening, and that would be swell. We've been getting a lot of reviews on Spotify, and our rating is still not great. So fuck, fucking change that, please. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. But it's like... Every but a bunch while, of people were it, mad that we made a fun of Prince Harry, so then they gave us bad ratings. Oh, like you know, he needs help. You know what I think happened? Mer- uh, this is probably what happened. Meghan Markle saw we made fun of them. And so she said on her podcast... To go make be, give us bad reviews, and all the people who listened did. So we got six bad reviews. Is it really had, all about Prince Harry? We, they don't. They don't actually write anything on Spotify. But the timing is either either that or they really didn't like our Forrest Gump episode. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's probably not the Forrest Gump enthusiast. <laughs> it's like Winston Groom's ghost. The <laughs> <laughs> stupid is as this podcast does. Freaking, <laughs> all right, so back to this book. I don't know where we are. Oh so, yeah, okay. So he's getting blown and doing and doing blow. Yeah. And then he gets sober. He, and he does yeah. get sober. And then they go back into the studio to make another album. And it's pretty good. But there's one song that could just use a little bit more. You know, just like a little bit, a little bit something extra. So um, the, the producer song, is, song about breakfast cereal. The song. The producer. Honeycomb. The British. Yeah, the British man named Teddy asks. Daisy Jones, because he knows her, like, oh, why don't you come in and sing the duet on this song? And of course, Billy is mad because it's like, it's my song. Why is he asking? And she changed the words, or that makes it mean something different now that another person is singing it. But it goes pretty well, and then the song becomes popular. 
And then they go out on tour again. And they're like, we're going to bring Daisy Jones and her band as the opening act. And they and she'll come out on stage and sing this honeycomb song, which has become a getting a bigger and bigger hit. And so they get bigger and more people are coming to their shows. It's not just like the and this is where it's not just like the um not just people coming out to see the six, they're also coming out to see Daisy, which means it's also like teenage girls. And she's the op- oh, but she was also promised like she when she signed her record deal, like she wants to be a singer songwriter type. Not like, you know, she just wants to write her own material. It's not like singer-songwriter, like, uh, you know, Cat Stevens or something. But like, you know what I mean? She wants to write her own material. And they're like, yeah, but you just sing these fucking songs. And she has no say over the thing, so she's all bitter. And so the guy's like, this is this is going to get you to the step where you get to write your own shit, you know? You got you to gotta suck a couple cocks before you get to, you know, not suck cocks. That's how this industry works. And she's like, oh, I'm used to that. That's true. I've been doing that since I'm 14. So she goes on the tour with him. And then questionably Jewish guy, Jonah Berg, or whatever his name was, Jonah Goldberg, what was his name? The uh, the writer for Rolling Stone? Jonah Berg, yeah. Jonah Berg. Is that Not a real that writer? Yeah. I don't know. It could be German. <laughs> <laughs> Jonah Berg. Uh, he, he is a writer for Rolling Stone. He's there. I don't fucking know why, but he's there to watch them. He's there to do the interview about the band because they're the next big thing, maybe. They're going to be on the cover, I think. Oh. The cover of the Rolling Stone. That's another big leap of bullshit. Like, they don't just throw it. At this this point, like mid 70s, Rolling Stone was a big deal to just, they wouldn't just be like, let's uh, throw it. wasn't like now where they'll put literally a terrorist on the cover of Rolling Stone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Remember they did that with the fucking Boston Bomber guy? He was on the cover of Rolling Stone. Well, he had a really sick uh, mixtape on uh, SoundCloud. <laughs> Maybe you missed it. <laughs> and they're like, you got to listen to this guy before he blows up. <laughs> it's, it's the bomb. bomb. Yeah. <laughs> no, got they got something they, cooking. It's controversial. They put Sarnayev, whatever one's still alive. You know, he's kind of a good looking kid. And then you know, his like artsy MySpace picture, yeah, was the full cover of Rolling Stone after they captured him and, and killed his brother. And we were like, odd choice. You're really you're putting a pretty glamorous shot. Like normally when we like the you know who's that guy they waterboarded who like was the mastermind of 911. Oh yes, Sheikh Mohammed or something like that. No, he had a three letter KSM Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. I think that was his name. All right, I was I got two out of three, and as the bard Meatloaf says, two out of three ain't bad. (laughs) But like the only picture ever see of that guy is him like being like obviously he just got tortured. Like it's like yeah. handcuffed, he like shit. and his hair is like fuck it. He looks like he just stuck his finger in an electrical outlet, and then they pissed on his face. And like, yeah, this guy's a piece of shit. They want you to know that, but then Rolling Stone puts like the the hunky terrorist to be. This was a different time. Well, in this book they takes were place. aiming. Uh, clearly, Rolling Stone was aiming to be controversial, so people would remember that Rolling Stone exists, and it worked. <laughs> and that's that is a good point. As uh. Because controversy is the only way to get any exposure now. Uh, you're forgetting about boobies, Nathan. All right, that's that too. true. It's the only other way. It's 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 why it's so hard out here for men these days. The only way I can get exposure is by pulling my penis out on the train, and it's <laughs> not the right kind of exposure, it's apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but I do usually get a seat. <laughs> <laughs> Like, please, everyone, listen. I'm sorry to interrupt your commute. I am just, I am working on my podcast. And I pull my, maybe that's where the reviews are coming from. (laughs) That's why they keep talking about riding the D train. Uh, (laughs) 
but they always use a lowercase d. I'm not sure if I should read something into that. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so they think they're going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone, and they they end up doing this like they do the song together at a bar or some shit and jonah berg writes about like oh my god they're so good they should be a band together he plays musical matchmaker they sing into the same microphone in the live performance you know like standing next to each other and that, singing to the that same old mic. thing yeah. and then later they do it in the studio Ooh, which is like which the is dumbest bullshit thing. I, I like i do appreciate because i was reading I was like no way there's no way they would do that no. that makes no fucking sense but I like that the engineer goes like, "Oh, I was a bitch to edit that," like because that's the truth. You can't edit, like, you especially can't with the technology then. When they're on like sixteen track tape, maybe. But anyway, then they be, then they're like, "We should have her in the band." And after some hemming and hawing, she joins the band. Like you know the title of the book, we know where this is going. <laughs> you don't need and to. And then draw there's yeah, exactly. And then there's a brief discussion. So what are we going to be called? And it's like the manager is like, "You're going to be called Daisy Jones and the Six and and." Brian, no, what's his name? Billy and, and Brian. And I don't care. <laughs> oh, no, what's the guy's name again? Billy. There you go. Because I don't care about names. I never do. Uh, it, <laughs> and Billy is like mad because like it's his band. You know, he's clearly the leader. He's clearly the Paul McCartney. Yeah, I am the six. <laughs> the, I'm the six. <laughs> <laughs> Nate, do one too, quick. Judge Dredd, come on. Oh, you seen Judge Dredd? Yes, I have actually. What? Wow, Judge Dredd? We've been over what? this. We went over this. I know, I'm surprised are you, are you, every time. Are you sure you're not thinking of Demolition Man? I, I see that I other futuristic I, Sylvester Stallone movie? Uh, I'm pretty sure I haven't <laughs> seen that one. Did he wear a helmet or not? He wore a helmet. Uh, that was Judge Dredd then, yeah. Because uh, yeah. with the bullets that have your DNA on them, so you can always yeah, yeah, find it. Yeah. His, his, his cloned brother who did it. <laughs> <laughs> Those are Spoiler, really sorry. I spoiled the 1996 film Judge Dredd for somebody. <laughs> the new Dredd that they made was actually quite good. It was Who called judge? Dredd. It's pretty good. <laughs> uh, anyway, Who so... Who judge? They <laughs> go into... And so now they... So they they're, so they become Daisy Jones and the Six, which you knew from the title, and they go into the studio again. And this, there's like whole... But now all the dynamics in the band have to change because now instead of it being... Billy's band. First, they vote to be like, well, everybody's going to have an equal say on this one. Everybody's going to yeah. have, finally going to have equal say in what their parts to be. And, and like in most dictatorships when they have an election, that's <laughs> not true. Doesn't work out. <laughs> but, and Billy shows up and he's already got like, you know, 10 or 12 songs written. And, but instead it's like, nope. We're writing this together, you and me, Billy and Daisy. We're writing the songs together, and this is where it definitely is like writing the songs is only writing the lyrics. Once you have good lyrics, once you got two, three verses in a chorus, songs written, hit the studio. You know, they're recording it. They're um, they're writing it while in the studio, which was kind of common when you had a big studio money back then. Like, people would take, like, eight... Like, the Beatles really started that shit of, we're just going to hang out in the studio for the next six months and record stuff, and eventually you'll get an album. And they're like, you know what? Fucking, we're going to make so much money. It doesn't matter. We'll pay for that. Like, it took the Beatles six months to record Sgt. Pepper. And people were like, this is insanity in 1967. (laughs) And then by the mid-70s, like, that was standard. People were, like, living in there practically. You know? 
So they're that's what they're doing. They're just hanging out there and writing songs. And then like, let's go, I'll go sit by the pool and write some songs. Let's go do a lot of blow and write some songs. All right, we're back. We're going to go record um, the tambourine for that song now, whatever it was. But the band's just rehearsing in the space. It's a, it's absurd. But, back, but at the same time, though, back then, recording technology was literally like one machine. <laughs> it wasn't like, you know, the incredible microphones and different kind of computing shit that people use today. It was still very expensive. It was, but... But it, since since like most people had no access to it, I feel like the studios were able to kind of front they were because they they limited who could even get in there in the first place. So they were able to front the money for certain acts and tolerate that loss or that risk. Because if they made even and back then everybody you had to buy music, we forget that like you had to actually buy the shit. Everything sold a lot of copies. <laughs> even shitty music sold a lot of copies. You would make your money back. And then on the big hits, the things that sold 5 million copies, they, they'd be like lighting $100 bills on fire to like freebase their cocaine. <laughs> they were, like, they were and the record rich. company and the labels and record companies would keep most of that money. The bands themselves would still make plenty of money, but it would still make a, would still make a lot, but 10%. Oh, yeah. And they'd have to tour to, hustle, to make a lot of that money. Yeah. The tours where like the merch and all that kind of shit that they make more of it there. So Daisy and Billy, like this is a this is a pretty big chunk of the book is Daisy and Billy like figuring out how to write these songs together and having a lot of conflict and but also clearly they are into each other, but can't admit it. And Daisy is doing like so many drugs, as she always does. And then uh yeah, and then there are like side plots about the Christine McVie character, you know, like Karen, Karen. Yeah, there we go. The white lady, uh, <laughs> sleeping with the, was it the drummer or the bass player? I forget. Or no, the rhythm is guitarist. It, is, it, is it Graham, right? It's Graham. Oh yeah. Graham. The brother, okay. Who was, he's, I, I, he's, I, the, he's the rhythm guitarist. Cause Eddie is the dickhead lead guitarist. Who's complaining all the time about Billy's ego. And Which there's Pete, the bass player, who I was sure was dead the whole time because <laughs> he's never interviewed. But at the end, he's like, "I'm good. I don't want to talk about this anymore." He's like, "Okay, he's alive." But there, there was um, uh, a line earlier on where they're where they're talking about who was banging who. This is like about a oh when when um when Karen and Graham finally get together, and then they're and she's like, "What would he?" She's like, "Hey, what would you uh." You know, why don't you try to fuck my pussy or something like that? She's, she's like very, why don't you very make a move. She's very direct, and he's like, because I don't think you'd let me have sex with your body. And she's like, maybe you should ask. And he's like, okay. And then they start they start banging for the next half of the book. But then they talk to someone else. I'm trying to oh, Warren. Who was Warren again? The drummer. He's the, he's the awesome drummer. And so he's like, uh, when we were doing a show, our show in Glasgow, sometime after sound check, I'm taking one of my beer naps. <laughs> Which is what I would call having a beer and taking a nap. That's how you know it's a fucking drummer talking, by the way. That <laughs> he felt the need to say that stupid sentence. And I wake up because she really Karen, did nail drummers in this. Yeah, oh, I've got to say, <laughs> they just left out all the parts of the sound check where they use his drool levels to check if the stage is equally balanced. <laughs> As I, uh, I wake up, it's because Karen is having sex with somebody in the next room. I can't even sleep. It's so loud. I never found out who it was, but I did see her being a little flirty with our lighting tech. So in real life, Christine McVie had a, an affair with the lighting director of Fleetwood Mac, or their, their touring lighting director guy or whatever. And you know the song, You Make Loving Fun? She wrote that about fucking that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
she could have said, you light up my life. And she didn't. That was, that was already taken. <laughs> and you light up my puss. Uh, I, I like that. Uh, that sounds beautiful, like a beautiful ballad. All I'm Kesha. hearing is the... Yeah, that is a Kesha song. Uh, because my puss, my puss, my puss is your drug. Uh, my puss, my puss, my puss. Isn't that how it goes? Yeah, that is. That's it. But I'm th- and now in my head, I'm just hearing the You Light Up My Life song, but it's You Light Up My Puss. And it's really... <laughs> you know the song, Nate? Yes. You do? I mean, come on. You were there for it. It was like 1978 or something like that. That's all I gave it. Who did that song? It was Someone not who... anyone near... It's like Betty... Oh, fuck was her name? Debbie Boone. Debbie Boone. Debbie Boone. Fucking ridiculousness. What is the meaning of You Light Up My Life? Like, what the f- <laughs> oh, it's about, it's about God. Of course it is. She's Pat Boone's kid. She didn't write, but still, Pat Boone, who is like the the fucking Wonder Bread covered in Miracle Whip of early rock and roll, (laughs) and then his like he's a mayonnaise sandwich. Did you ever? He did a cover of Tutti Frutti, the Little Richard song. I don't want to hear that. Which, by the way, how did anyone? How was anyone surprised that Little Richard was gay? (laughs) (laughs) But. He did a cover of Tutti Frutti, and it sold more copies, apparently. <laughs> They're like, well, I don't know about this. Because you were allowed to buy that one in the South. Oh, you, could, you, you could imagine the, you know, Ward Cleaver type family situation. Like, I don't know about this rock and roll music, but this Patrick Boone seems like a nice young feller. <laughs> this is a significant chunk of Dream Girls, isn't it? Got me a Cadillac car. I have never actually seen it. No, they do a, you know, a very, you know, Girl group, black girl group thing of that, and then a soft white guy makes a cover of it, and it blows up, and it's like this is fucking awful. That's pretty. That's how it works. Yeah. All right. Where were we? They start making an album called Aurora, and it's a masterpiece. And they have it this whole thing, I but have just to about writing it. Yeah, uh, and then it's like so good. It's you know because it's from the heart. And Daisy they, wore they such fabulous. And Daisy wore such fabulous outfits while she was recording it. You know, it's a chick book, so like has to talk about her outfits a lot. Mainly talk about how she never wore a bra. Uh, I believe it was was it the drummer who said this? I highlighted this line because I was like, "Yeah, man, you're a perv." Um, it was Eddie. Eddie's the dick guy, right? Yeah. He said, "Man, she looks good. She had on a tiny little dress. Girls didn't wear bras back then." And it's a crying shame that ever ended. <laughs> cool, dude. <laughs> and he's saying this, by the way, to a female interviewer, <laughs> which is fucking hysterical. But they make this album. Nate. He's the Liam Gallagher or the Noel Gallagher. I can't remember which one. I think they're both pricks. Yeah. It's just which, which you know, do you want an uncut or <laughs> circumcised uncut. prick? <laughs> so uh, you said they make it. The album's really good, right? Could you say it's their crowning achievement? It literally mm. is, yeah. It literally is. So when I went to the beer store this evening to buy beers for this and another episode we're going to record, I was trying really hard to not just buy the same types of beers I always buy because, you know, we, we did this episode with the Drunk Mormon podcast that's coming out eventually. And he was like, hey, you guys do IPAs every day. So I was like, well, we just do beers. And he's like, yeah, it sounds like IPAs all the time. I'm like, oh, I guess we have a type. So I was yeah, trying to look at the... I mean, it is true. I was trying to look in the fridge for something else, and I found myself looking at like any name 
And it could be, and I, I probably could have made it work, but I was like, I don't really want to drink that Pilsner. <laughs> I don't really want to drink that <laughs> Belgian mild ale or whatever the fuck that is. And it's like, ah, stouts and IPAs. These work. Uh, so this is an imperial stout brewed with maple syrup. That's 12% alcohol made by uh, Barrier Brewing Company. And it's brewed with... Say 12%? Yeah, baby. Ooh. It's brewed with crown maple syrup, which is bourbon barrel aged. Not the beer, but the syrup. Do they then bourbon barrel age the stout as well? No, that would be... Double bourbon? Not, not for eight bucks a can. I mean, that's no, expensive that's for... Mm, it smells like stout. This is easily the finest barrier beer I've ever had. It sounds pretty good. I want to make love to this with no barriers. Raw dog. <laughs> I want to be in this. This is good. I'm crowning. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't That doesn't mean the same thing at all. No, I'm losing control of my bowels. It's... it's <laughs> It tastes like a really good stout, and then they just dumped a shit ton of waffle crisp in it. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't need all these toes. I'm not going to have them, so... you will buy cheaper shoes with less toes. That's true. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll go down a size. <laughs> or like four. Oh, it's so good. All right, so then they spent a, a, a long time record, writing and squabbling and recording the it's album. Because it, but it took a long time, but the songs are so good because it's about their struggle... They're both like, you know, the conflict with each other and they're just so from the heart because they're having so much drama while it's going on. And Daisy is definitely falling for Billy and Billy's kind of falling for Daisy and they have to just like try and ignore but he, it. But he has the uh, will, the nicest wife in the, the world. Buddha, and he's yeah. just like, nope. So every time they were doing something, we were all hanging out at the bar, and Billy was drinking a stein of Coca-Cola. Like, <laughs> he is just avoiding all the partying. He's doing a in- pretty impressive job for the temptations that that guy must have faced for a dude with like three months of clean time. It's, it's pretty admirable. And he's just like running home. He's like, I got to go take my kids to Disneyland. I got to go it's eat pancakes. Fuck this shit. Incredible self-control. Yeah. Uh, this is where it was the least believable part of the book, frankly. I mean, some people, they get clean and they know what a fuckhead they are when they're not, and they know how fast things can fall apart. Oh, I, I've, I've met so, some people, but it's, th- it's, it's, but it's, it's believable. But the people I know who are... They're not around talk, it all the time. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to talk about Nate. But the people <laughs> I know who are in recovery for addiction, they, it's like the people who are successful out of that I know. Who, who have not relapsed for a long period of time. It's a f- they are going to like meetings every day. They, are, they have distanced themselves from the opportunities of the past. They have tried to, like many of them, like relocated themselves. To, to be in the middle of 19, mid-70s Eagles cocaine world <laughs> and to be like, no, nah, I'm just, uh, just going to have a burger and split, guys. That's ridiculous. You know? Because a lot of the people I know, they, 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 they like end up becoming sponsors and they go to meetings and they lead the talk. So they have like this big investment. This guy was just like, I really don't want to do that. That was not nice of me. And that's it. <laughs> and he's just like, I'm done. I'm done with that now. I'm done getting my dick sucked all the time and doing coke and feeling like I could literally just fucking tired fly. It, you know? <laughs> I want to wake up groggy and have my back hurt. That's going to be great. <laughs> don't tempt me. But either way, he's very successful. So finally, just when the album is pretty much done being recorded, before Billy goes and redoes it all, but you know, uh, but when it's just about done being being recorded, Daisy like goes to like 
kiss Billy, I think. He goes to kiss her, too, though. She goes yeah. for it more. And then he... Because he's married to the nicest lady in the entire world. And then he has to back off. And then Daisy's all angry and embarrassed. And then leaves. And then goes... Well, like, Nobody says no to this puss, is basically what she... Because it's the first time she's been rejected. Probably, yeah. And then, so she gets so mad that she flies to Rome. She, no, no, she first, flies no, to no, somewhere okay. else. She goes no, to first Thailand. Off, Thailand. It, 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 it is... It is the most, the biggest missed opportunity in the book, in any book, ever. Prove me wrong. She says, our tour dates weren't set yet. And I said, screw it. I'm going to fuck it. <laughs> How did she not say fuck it? I'm going to fuck it. I thought you were going <laughs> to say Disneyland. For Phuket or whatever the fuck I'm supposed to it's, say. It's Phuket. Yeah. She said, fuck it. Go to fuck it. That would have been hysterical. I would have... No one would have been at fault. It's amazing. <laughs> but instead, she goes, screw it. I'm going to go to Phuket. Like, that's the biggest load of well, shit. She was I've ever going heard. to go to Bangkok. Oh, she ends up doing banging some cock. Yeah. So, yeah, same difference. When she's there, she meets Nikki, who is the allegedly Italian prince. Doesn't mean it, you know, does eventually prince mention Al- that Italy doesn't have a royal family anymore. They but do eventually, and they're like, well, her, his father's the prince. And they're like, but that's not even, that doesn't make anything. No. <laughs> and he is, of course, handsome and dreamy, but also and does an enormous amount of drugs, even more than Daisy big does. Italian dong. <laughs> he does even more drugs than Daisy does and gets Daisy to do even more drugs. So, of course, she marries him. They fly to Rome and get married before, like, you know, the two weeks later or something like that. You know, days later. And then yeah, the kind, finally, of, the kind of important decision you make when you're fueled entirely by barbiturates and champagne. <laughs> it like, was yeah, the 70s. Is, true. Uh, and then they, somebody, the, the friend goes to find her in Rome, and then they're like, you got to get back. With store, tour has got to start. So he goes back. After she stands up her friend in Thailand. Yeah. <laughs> she, <laughs> Whoops, I left. Oh, did I leave? And then they get back, and she's like, this is my husband, Nikki. He's going to be coming on the tour with us. So they do. And then there's a, then there's a passage about it on the tour, but Daisy and Billy are like just basically not speaking to each other. Oh, yeah, and then they have to do the album cover photo shoot, and... And she's got them... Well, she's she's wearing a... Though at another point, they do mention how she has no tits and ass. And I highlighted this line, too, because it was amazing. She's a, a carpenter special. She's got no tits or no ass. She's flat as a board. A carpenter special. Easy to nail. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but hard to screw? I don't really know where we're going with this metaphor. But... So, but she's just she's just got the pokies out, as creepers on the internet call them, and she's wearing like a wife beater. You never heard them called that. <laughs> and that's their album cover. <laughs> that's their album cover, and of course, like that was dramatic. I guess I don't know. So then they go out on the well, tour. The whole the whole rest of the band is like motherfuckers. No one cares about us. Everything is about these two. And, and then they, they, they the, the you know the egos are really delicate here. And this is where in the intervening month or two. Billy and Teddy have re-recorded a lot of the album, like a lot of the tracks. I mean, a lot of the like instrument tracks and, you know, this and that and added and subtracted a bunch of stuff and it made it so good. And one of the, in the the main, in the conflict that Billy has with what the other guitar, the lead guitarist who really wants to be the star. And he's like, he keeps changing it. And this is where he says the line, 
he changed it to Nashville tuning. And it's like, which is a thing, uh, but also no one gives a shit that it would be changed to Nashville tuning. No one cares. Nashville tuning wouldn't be a lead guitar thing. Nashville tuning is when you tune the three lowest strings, sounding strings of the guitar using the high 12 string versions of those strings. So you get a very bright, jangly sound. It's used for rhythm guitar parts. That wouldn't be a lead guitar part. You know what I'm saying? And another bullshit. another music thing that was used incorrectly. I think it was a different time in the book when they're like talking about singing. It's like, oh, why don't you try it up a key? It's like, mm, so close. So yeah. close. Well, they might. I mean, that. I, that's maybe perfectly, they mean up a perfectly. step or something like that. Or up I a mean, half yes, step. but I, I, would I, someone who like say music that, yeah. professionals really say try it up a key? Uh, no, that's you see, uh, not usually, but you could. You People kind, would, it's, you'd be able to get it. It's the kind of thing where this book. But is also, like you so were saying close. earlier, these people aren't trained musicians. True. I doubt that's the reason they're so, talking. Correctly, wait, they're not but formally trained argued. musicians, but yeah. they are good at what they do. Presumably, just by having by doing the Lennon McCartney version, which is just practicing a shitload. Yeah. By osmosis, they've learned stuff. So they know stuff. They just weren't formally trained in it. Well, they, they, all the descriptions are always like, and it was just so raw and emotional, and yeah. there was a raspy, guttural wailing to her singing. Like, they never actually say, like, and then she sang a minor melody. Well, they, or they, minor the one time melody. they do mention chords is like, Karen's like, oh, they had me do the one, four, five. But they had oh, that also doesn't make one, sense. Five. And it's like, of course you're doing one, four, fives. It's basic ass shit. But she goes, instead of me doing one, five, you had me do one, four, five. I was like, well, that changes the song. Uh, you could do it. It's not crazy. I mean, it, she, her whole thing throughout the whole book, by the way, Karen was just like, she was like so mad that she wasn't the pretty one in the band. <laughs> she just wanted like, to be a keyboard player. But she was always like, this fucking Daisy with her titties and pussy out. Can't you just practice your instrument? Get in the woodshed, girl. Let, they won't respect us as musicians if we're just flashing gash. Like, it's, that's almost a direct quote. She was like, we, they, they won't regret, respect you if you're just a whore. And she's mad at it. That's like, why? Look at these men. Oh, can you believe them? It's like, woman, you were alive in the 70s. You should know yeah. what it was like. Hashtag no one as well. No one, no one was saying like, "Hey, this is wrong." This is back in the day when like record executives were getting blown during the meetings, and it wasn't over Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, anyway, so they go out on tour, and it's then it's wild, and it's you know there are two different tour buses, and one is definitely the party bus, and then they like that they are t- spending tons of money just like. To the hotels because they just destroy every hotel room. Daisy, well, Daisy is always lighting. the worst. Yes, yeah, she lights things on fire because she passes out with cigarettes, or the husband does. Yeah, they also have to pay twice as much because Daisy and uh, and Billy are petty cunts. And if anyone gets something, the other one needs to have the exact same thing. And I like when the uh, the the accountant narc they have is like, do they really both need ping pong tables? <laughs> <laughs> Also, <laughs> they both keep pooping in the bed, which is fucked up because he's sober and there's no reason for him pooping in the bed. I know. Just do it in the tub like a gentleman. <laughs> yeah, that's where the faucet is. Listen, it's it's fun. It's a fun gag. And they don't really quite realize till you've left town. 
the bed, though, it's a dead, dead giveaway. What he should have been doing is upper decking. <laughs> mm, yeah. Then really, it's attack. the next the next patron deals with it. Do you know, unrelated, but speaking of pooping in the bed in hotels, I did hear that when Andre the Giant <laughs> was on t- wrestling tour in Japan and, like, you know, not the most <laughs> famously large people that Andre the Giant couldn't, like, fit in those fucking hotel rooms, that he couldn't get into the bathroom to shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I have heard... I hope this is true, and I don't want to look it up because I'm a. Fr- if it's not true, I'll be sad. But that he would just lay a newspaper out on the bed and shit on it <laughs> like a dog, <laughs> and like Hulk Hogan would be like, "Oh Jesus Christ, brother!" <laughs> just like he's shitting all over the bed, <laughs> and then he's leaving like a fucking small Filipino man sized body of shit just out of. And like sometimes an actual man probably came out of his ass because he was such a voluminous eater. <coughs> That's rock and roll, baby. <laughs> yes, that is, actually. I'm Googling Andre the Giant shit on bed. <laughs> I can imagine, like, the, the fucking <laughs> like, the poor Japanese maid coming. There's got to be oh, a Snopes about that. <laughs> okay, so there are tons of partying. They're, like, destroying the buses, but Billy is still manages to resist, but then eventually Daisy, like like realizes that Nikki doesn't actually care because what she wakes up and she thinks she's OD'd and Nikki didn't call an ambulance. He's just kind of like, she, Oh, I put you in the shower. Did OD. <laughs> I put you in the shower. And he's like, and then she realized, Oh, he really doesn't care. He wouldn't care about me if I was ODing, if I was dying. So she, she's also been paying for everything. Yeah. So she dumps him. So she, she basically says, no, I'm leaving you. And then goes to Billy and says, I want to try to get clean. And he's like, oh, ooh, yes, okay, I'll help you. And then immediately, to get the phone call, Teddy has died. Teddy, the British, older British man who's the producer. We also, we skipped how they shit-talked each other in the press, and that made them hate each other more. And that's why the, like, like the, the cover of Rolling Stone was like, are they the biggest enemies in rock and roll and in the same band? What? And that was the album. And they were both like, she's a piece of shit. And like, he's a piece of shit. I hate him. I wouldn't have done that, but I had to do it because she's a bitch. And she's like, ah, I was a bit of a bitch. <laughs> and so they like, they really loathe each other at this point. Like they really, really hate each other's guts. Well, it's that the, the interviewer goes back to interview them separately because they won't be around each other. And she tells him that on the first tour, he was fucking everything that moved and cheating on his wife constantly. And he was like, you can't print that, please. And he's like, I can't not print it. It's, you know, the news. It's not the news. Yeah. Um, I have journalistic integrity. Yeah, I've been doing Rolling fucking Stone. key bumps with you guys all night. <laughs> and so he says, all right, if I'll give you something else, you got to give me something to work with. He's like, you know, I'll tell you the truth is I fucking hate Daisy Jones. And he's like, that's the story. He's like, the but, biggest band. They hate each other. And then in the, in the uh, interviews, they, they have that guy. And you're like, he's like, listen, I asked her. It's like, hey, you're fucking high as all balls right now. Are you sure you want to be on the record right now? And she was like, yeah, fucking whatever, man. And she kept rubbing her gums. <laughs> and then I said, okay, <laughs> I gave her a chance. So like, what an asshole. <laughs> He's just starting to listen. I wrote the story that I knew was, he, he doesn't want to like take, which is also very realistic. Probably. This is kind of like almost famous. Uh, kind of. Yeah. I only say that because I don't really remember what that movie was about. <laughs> Well, the thing in Almost Famous is the kid 
is the Rolling Stones on tour kind of thing. Yeah, he's, he's he's following on tour, which was based on a true story, but it was with the Allman Brothers in real life. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, but then he goes and turns in his story to Rolling Stone towards the end of the movie, and they fact check it, and the band denies it all, and that's the thing. I don't know if that would have worked the same in real life here. If this guy turned in his piece, if Rolling Stone would have been like, we better confirm these details. Because then the band kind of has an out. They could be like, no, that's not true. Or he's mistaken. I plead the fifth. But let's take, no, he's a liar. It's like not a court case. You can fucking lie your balls off. <laughs> like, nope, never said that. That's someone else talking on that reel-to-reel tape he lugged around with him. I never fucked a single lizard. It wasn't me. You gotta just... Get go, get God sometimes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So everyone is very... It was my iguana dong. <laughs> so uh, everyone is very sad that Teddy died, and then Daisy doesn't get any help, and then kind of like gets even worse with even more drugs, and then eventually there is this scene where Billy's wife goes to Daisy, like just, or like in because they're in the same hotel, because they're staying in the same hotel, because Daisy's wife... I mean, not Daisy's wife. Billy's wife and the kids are Mrs. going Billy. with them. Yeah, exactly. Going with them on tour. And so they're in the same hotel. So Billy's wife goes to Daisy. And it's like, you need to just leave and get yourself into rehab and just get your life together. And she's like, yes, you need to do this. Because you got to quit the band. Yeah. And so Daisy literally does that. She just quits the band, and then the rest of the band is like, well, fuck, we can't... Well, I quit the band, too. And then they all quit the band, and then the band literally ceases to exist halfway through the tour, and they're in, like, Pittsburgh. No, Cincinnati. I don't know. Chicago. 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 Chi-town, baby. And then, and then that's almost the end of the book, and then it jumps to, like, you know, the current present day, you know, two thousand. 18 or whatever 12, it is. 19, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you know, mom died. And then you find out that the person writing the book is actually Billy's daughter, who was supposedly there at this meeting when she was five years old. And she's like, yeah, I'm the only person alive that can corroborate this other than Daisy because uh, her mom is dead, because um, Billy's wife is dead, you know, because she's old now. Damn it, she has lupus. <laughs> <laughs> she did have lupus, yeah. She had lupus. You didn't remember that Mitch Hedberg joke? That's she was bad. shot by a silver bullet. <laughs> Someone should have had a course. <laughs> you remember that? Do you know that Mitch Hedberg joke? Like alcoholism is the only yeah. joke, the only disease you can get yelled at for having. Right? Alcoholism is a disease, but the only one you can get yelled at for having. It's like, damn it, Nate, you're an alcoholic. Whereas, damn it, Nate, you have lupus. Just doesn't work the same way. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you had to be there. Um, he also died of drugs. Turns out, he did. His bee balls. So then she dies of the lupus. She becomes. She succumbs to the way of the wolf, and she is gone. <laughs> and then you get a little bit of reflection from like the members of the band, and you know, and then from Billy, and then from, and then also from Daisy. You know, talking about well, you know, I left the band and I got clean, and then I did all the, I was able to do all these other things, you know, and I. I mean, there are also some it other... St- she was still already really, really rich. Yes. There are also some other stuff going on, which we kind of skipped, which is definitely what made this a checkbook, because it's like, not only were was it really important to what Daisy's outfits were the whole time, but also, and then Karen gets pregnant, and there's this whole thing. It's like, oh, she's going to get an abortion, uh, and then she does, 
and then so like there's that drama and then you finally like find out all this stuff and then finally it's like yeah and and then the last thing and then the the girl who is the woman who's actually writing the book who is you know billy's daughter says her you know mom said this one thing you know let your give your father some time and then tell him to call daisy jones boom boom yeah that's when it turns into the end of how i met your mother I was thinking it was exactly like How I Met Your Mother. Like, this came out a similar time, didn't it? No, that's like no. a while ago now. Oh, no, it's because it, like, when they flash forward, it's in like 2012, which is probably around when that ended. Yeah, I feel like it's about eight, nine years now that's over. At yeah, least. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But it felt like the end of How I Met Your Mother, right? At the end of it, it's like, that's How I Met Your Mother. Good thing she's dead, right? <laughs> like, go fucking talk to Aunt that Robin. Other, that other lady I like. Sorry if we're spoiling a 10-year-old sitcom. That had a pretty controversial one. Nate has no idea. Never seen even one oh, episode. It's actually, it's actually a pretty good show. It was pretty good, yeah. It, it drags it, on it, at the end. Yeah, it, the last season was kind of uh, slow. But it held up. Like, I watched it again. I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. The whole, pretty good. Okay, the, whole, the whole premise of the show is that he's telling his kids, hey, did I ever tell you how I met your mother? And it takes him nine seasons. And then he tells kids. everybody, he tells his kids about every lady he fucked. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's it's like, like Dad, please stop telling us these things. No, like, no, she used to do this chest. thing with her tongue. <laughs> <laughs> she could gulp anyway. So then going on and on, and then at the end, kids, do you know what felching is? So the, <laughs> when a man and a woman love each other very much, sometimes they fist each other. Uh, so at the end of this, at the end, the ending uh, is he's like, yeah, that's how I met your mom, and the mom is dead. <laughs> the mom is fucking dead. She's been, and the kids are like, "Dad, you clearly that other woman who was a character of the whole show. Who's like, you should talk to her because obviously you regret us and mom because it was obvious you wanted her the whole time. And everyone was so upset that they made a second ending and put it on the DVD where that wasn't the ending. Really, did that on the DVD." I, I, I listened as I bought the DVDs. I, I guess this was like right at that time when things almost were streaming. So yeah. I had the DVDs of the show and you'd watch it. And at the end, there was a second ending you could watch where it was like, it just cuts off. Yeah. But he's just like, and I'm just so happy every day that I met your mother or something like that. That's weird. It is. But it was, it was like, everyone was so mad. Like, are you kidding me? The whole fucking time. I mean, people thought she was dead a few seasons in. There were a lot of theories. Why else would you talk to your kids for that long? Why listen to all that shit? Because it was like, hey, stop telling that stuff about the ladies you banged. It's really weird, man. It was just a, he's like, that's why mom died of AIDS, huh, dad? She was just (laughs) fucking everything. It's like this one. It's like interviewing these people in the band about all, like, my dad dicking down everybody across America while while I was in my mother. (laughs) I felt really bad about it. Not the blowjob part. So uh, the book's done. What did you guys think? Besides all the technical music jargon. Yeah. Um, so it was fine. It was pretty it was good. A fun, it's a fun read. No, it's, a pay, it's a quick, fun read. No doubt about it. The ending I didn't like, honestly. Why not? I was like, oh. I, mean, I don't know. It just felt, it felt like How I Met Your Mother. I don't know. I just didn't like that ending. I was actually okay with the ending of How I Met Your Mother also, but it's just me. I, I just, it just, uh, it was an enjoyable book. I, is it high literature? Of course not. It's an enjoyable, just kind of, I don't know what you'd call it. It's not a thriller. It's not, you know, a romance novel. It's just a popular book right now. And it's great for that genre. 
Will people be reading it in 15 years? Probably not, but who gives a fuck? It's a fun read now. Yeah. If you like if you liked VH1 the behind the music, you'll love this book. They didn't mention pooping once, despite our jokes about it. They didn't mention pooping in a strange place one time, which is impossible in a VH1 behind the music from the 70s. Well, they had them doing lots of drugs and having sex with people and like not remembering things. So they definitely poop somewhere weird. Oh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't call Pittsburgh weird. But yeah, they did poop there. <laughs> Do you know what a there's a thing called a Pittsburgh toilet. Oh, no. Which is a toilet oh, oh no. in the middle of a room, not, like, sealed off from anything. Like like not, the, it's like a piece of furniture in your living room. There's a toilet as no, well. No, no. It's usually, it's usually, like, in a basement. Like, in the middle of a basement. Or not even necessarily in the middle, but, like, it's just in a room that's not a bathroom. Wait, wasn't that not in the like, book? Yeah, they do have one in, actually in the book. And by the place Portland? they're staying in, like around LA, where they're recording their first album, they're like, "Yeah, and in this bedroom, it just had a toilet in it, not a whole bathroom, oh, just a toilet." Yeah, because because guy was saying like, "I was the only one with a with a with a bathroom in my in my apartment." I was like, "No, he had a toilet in the room." Uh, but you know, a Pittsburgh toilet is the thing. I don't know why it's called that, but I'm looking it up. I don't know either. It's just gonna be a picture of a toilet in a room. <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, it's one of those things that the etymology is lost to time or Pittsburgh. Um, I wonder if it has to do with just either Pittsburgh uh, zoning laws. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're, like in New York City, you're not allowed to have a fucking bathroom in your basement legally. Everyone does, but you're not supposed to. Well, you know, you got to be free to, to, to poop where you got. You can, sometimes if you got to poop, you can't run upstairs. That's every step is a risk. Listen, the libertarian in me is like, it's, every room is a bathroom if I'm free to choose it to be. Well, but, that no. is that's definitely true, but it is your house, and God damn there it, are not it going is to like over it. my dead, <laughs> out of my dead cold hands. This <laughs> is my house, clenching onto that turd. Uh, yeah, I don't know why they have. I've never heard of a Pittsburgh toilet, but that'll be my research project for this the week. Is an educational podcast, Michael. If you know why it's called the Pittsburgh toilet, let us know. <laughs> Please it just just make sure you leave five stars. <laughs> yeah, when you're sitting on your Pittsburgh toilet, taking a dropping a hot deuce, drop a five star review while you're at it. Nate, what did you like the book? It was fun. So yeah, I liked it. It was fun. You know, I'm into '70s rock and roll, and so I thought it was, or as Nate calls it, the new sound, <laughs> <laughs> uh, newfangled stuff. So anyway, that so that was fun. And Why can't they I, be Al Jolson? <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely a di- so not many popular books are written in this sort of like oral history VH1 behind the music style and so that was a that was a different choice which I didn't think it needed to be that way I guess except it also didn't bother me either you know though I read two other books like this and they were both music history books I read a few, I read the Primus one the Primus one that's one of them. And the other one was a book called Please Kill please, Me. Oh, Please Kill Me, the punk rock history about book? About the yeah. history of punk rock. But it's also, it's all, that's all cobbled together from interviews that he found elsewhere. But there's the a, there are, that, there's a, a whole yeah. world of these. Fuck, any, any topic you could dream of. There's an oral, who was that? Studs Terkel did the, for every part of American history, basically. There's like the Great Depression oral history book, the World War II Great Depression book. It was dusty. <laughs> <laughs> dust bowl, more like a whole dust bin. What? <laughs> Where am I? Uh, but they're... It's a whole thing. It's a whole genre. Mm. And they are... But this is a more novel. Yeah. I mean, but I think it made it... Not it, our first. The, well, the whole point of it is 
everyone's perspective. And you don't, you, you get kind of, uh, if you have like a third person omniscient narrator, you kind of get like the broad picture and you kind of get a sense of what you characters get are the thinking. truth from the third person omniscient narrator. Also, yeah. But this is, you get, I think, I think it did a good job of like every character had a, a unique, maybe not an entirely unique voice, but a unique perspective. And they stuck to that. Except the drummer. Was just the drummer was like, I hit with stick, and I eat sandwich. <laughs> Uh-oh, I make poop. Uh, and he, made, he married a lady with boobies. Yeah, boobie, boobies make, make stick hard. <laughs> but this is, I, I, saw you, I, I think I saw you, Nate, trying to think of what is the other book we've done like this. I have, Have yeah. you thought of it? I, no. Did you th- World War Z oh, was a world history book. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. That was so, a little more academic, though, you know? <laughs> a little higher. Bar that was... Using at West Point. No, I see that. Uh, that one was more like... Because it was just a series of chapters, and each chapter was from one person's, like... Not fr- always. Wasn't it? They cut back, sometimes they got back and it forth. It has been a while, so I guess there were, I'm there not was sure. There a few. It wasn't, it wasn't entirely like this, but it was... I mean, there's also felt like Lincoln and the Bardo, frankly, but that was a different thing, too. The, the one thing... One criticism I have about this this style of writing as fiction like let me, let me backtrack as non-fiction it's really an exercise in editing you know like how do you cut things to have them like it's like you're watching like a documentary on net like yeah. a netflix thing like that chicago bulls thing where they have like michael jordan i took that personally like all the memes that came out of that <laughs> um you know they have to like take dozens of hours of interview and they cut it down to like here's the 19 minutes we're going to use of this guy and we put him patch it in here as a novel, you could put whatever fucking words you want into their mouth. So it always lines up perfectly. There's never anybody who's kind of long-winded or doesn't know, doesn't have an answer for something. It's like, oh, I want somebody to comment on this. Like, all right, uh, I'll have the drummer say it. You know, it's, it's convenient. It's a, it's a very convenient story writing tool. I'm not critics criticizing it, um, but I think it, I'm surprised other people don't do it. It makes it very easy to tell the story in some ways. I don't you know? think it would work for a lot of stuff, though. Well, it has to have like the faux historical documentary element to it. And it has to be re- relative, uh, relatively recent. You can't have your, here's my oral history of the Battle of Hastings. <laughs> and then the guy's like, ah, didn't I kin the English are coming to kill our wees? And they're like, what? Okay. And then <laughs> you can't have that shit. But anything in the last 40 years is probably fair game. You know, when people just gross amounts of interviews are recorded of people that you could selectively edit and do whatever with. Even though I'm calling it an easy way to do things, I still think it's, I still think it's a fun book. I really liked it. I liked it a lot. I gave it a rare five stars. But ooh, it was, ooh, ooh, yeah. Wow. I didn't rate it yet, but I would not go there. Yeah. And I, I still feel that way. And it's not by any means high art, but I... I actually really, really enjoyed it. And I was willing to overlook the musical faux pas or technical shit because it doesn't really matter. Just for the record, Jimmy plays bass, so (laughs) I might not know them. Yeah, the guy they did an interview. (laughs) They had the interview. Who who played bass in the band? It was Pete, the guy who moved back to Boston to bang his girlfriend. He got married. He got married at the end of the tour. And he's like, I already told you this was a short ride for me. And then he's just And at the the end, he's like, like, I was was sure he was dead the whole time because he's never in the book. And at the end, the final, like, where are they now? He's like, I don't really want to talk about any of that. I'm doing fine now. I'm good. I'm I'm a postman here, whatever he ended up being. (laughs) I don't know what he did. 
I'm a mechanic. It's really sweet. No, he was a. Uh, I think he lived. In, didn't he? Was he the one that lived in Phoenix and sold real estate? That sounds like the kind of thing that may, that makes sense. I don't remember the end because I was I was mad. <laughs> uh, so who who should read it? Who should read it? Well, like I said, it's a chick book, but it's still fun. I don't. I think it. I don't know if I call it a chick book. I could see it being. Categorized because that's one. her. Th- but I th- that's what Taylor Jenkins Reid is known for. Is, is like she? I don't know novels. any of her other stuff at all. So maybe well, she probably do that Seven Fucking Wives book because everybody and their mothers read it. Except yeah, for us, I mean, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm down. I, I like this one a lot. I think it's worth a read, and it is easy. And even if you don't read a lot of books, it's it's a fucking cakewalk. It's not. There's no like big words. There are like no words to look complex up. literary. You know, ideas. You know, it's 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 just it's it's a breezy fun thing. And, it's and for for men well, looking it's well for, crafted for gentlemen looking for a book to read every so often you be like I'm starting to lose interest and you turn another page or two and they're like and she wasn't wearing a bra and you're like oh boobies and you'll keep reading it. <laughs> so there's something for the gentleman in there too cool ah I know it, what those are she was wearing a shirt with no bra and it was cold in there I know what this means and then you start working on your literary skills you're like ah oh, the auth- it's what the author doesn't say pokies I think that's and- called subtits. <laughs> 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 yes. Yes, that's what it is. So yeah, it's a fun read. I I agree. Anyone should read it. It's a fun book. It's not it's not like uh you know, oh my god, this book changed if if you if you if someone says like that book changed my life, you need to take them out of your life. But it like, that yeah, person that's, that's a definitely dummy. not the that's case. A dumb person. But, it's but it's a, solid it's a very, around. very enjoyable book. And I, I don't think I don't think that's an insult, by the way. I think that's a fair statement to make. I'm not trying to insult Taylor Jenkins Reed. Yeah, I don't think she sought, set out to write the next the great American you know, novel, Cole's Pendulum, or whatever the fuck that thing is called, by Umberto Eco. I don't know. Probably, That's I have fucking no idea. <laughs> she wrote a book about a rock band and, and people doing drugs and people doing stuff, and it was good. And I had a good time, and you would probably have a good time too. You have a good time most of the time. Some of a good time every time, or all the good time some of the time. But save part of the time too. Send us an email to <laughs> drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. Or follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunkguysbookclub. And uh, you want to help us out, go to the fucking Patreon and give us the monies. We won't spend it on drugs. Well, well, beer, but that's not the same thing. Or leave us a review. Those are nice things, too. And you can also join us on Goodreads and talk about things the way people in this book also talk, but also we'll do it at the same time, kind of. But it was mostly writing, actually. Never mind. And check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.